church said amen. We are having church up in here this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be turning to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, 5, and 7. Sounds like an unusually heavy lift, but you'll understand why in just a moment. And I want to just uh, start by asking a question. You know, have, you ever, have you ever been misunderstood? I mean, have you ever been misunderstood or have you ever misunderstood something? Uh, so maybe you thought something was one way, but then you discovered that it wasn't that way and you misunderstood. Maybe you said something that came across one way, but that's not the way that you meant it and somebody else misunderstood you. Um, that never happens in a marriage, right? Um, maybe you've uh, had things go on in your life where you've just completely missed, missed the mark on something. You, you've been misunderstood. Uh, or maybe you've uh, not understood something correctly. Something meant one thing, but it actually meant another. Such was the case uh, with the Yucatan Peninsula on the southern border of Mexico, southern end of Mexico, which is the ancestral home of the, the Maya people. And it's one of these misunderstandings. When the first Spanish explorers uh, got there and they were kind of exploring the land, they were trying to get a feel for the area and know the name of the place where they had just arrived. And unfortunately for them, there were no interpreters available that could translate from the native languages into Spanish. And so as they were asking what this place was called, they had to play it by ear when the Spanish kept asking, what's, what's the country called? The natives kept responding with something that sounded like Yucatan. But in that native language, what that meant was, I don't understand you. <laughs> and so that name just stuck. And it just became the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, when it comes to Palm Sunday, which you've already heard in some of our scripture reading and references, that this is what we're focusing on today. The story read by just some of our students, there was some misunderstandings uh, of who this King Jesus was and this week that we refer to as Holy Week and how that would go. Uh, because the New Testament writers they knew fully when they were writing how this week played out. So, so they knew what was going on. They, they knew fully well that the Hosanna cries of Sunday will by Friday turn into the calls for crucifixion. And so the entry into Jerusalem is charged with this irony. And as much as it is about the people of ancient Jerusalem, it's also about us. Because let's confess. Sometimes our faith can be fickle. Sometimes uh, there's, there's this reminder that we are the crucifiers of the one who's coming, the one that we have called blessed. And we're reminded that there's no route to the empty tomb except by way of the cross. And so this Friday evening, we're, we're going to spend some focused attention on that first Friday that Good Friday that will encompass much of this week. But today, the Hebrew writer is going to remind the reader who this king really is in a rather unusual way. So in Hebrews, as we said, it's not the most uh, practical book in all of the Bible. Uh, I mean, you don't open up the letter to the Hebrews and, you know, here's five ways to have an awesome marriage. Uh, the next letter in, in our New Testament, James, 
uh, is a little more practical of a letter. It's known for that. A lot of people like to, to go through James or study James or preach on James because it's such a, a practical book. Uh, but one of the things that I'm discovering, and I hope you are discovering too about Hebrews, is that even though it seems on the surface like it's not a very practical letter, the message of the Hebrews is this, that Jesus, who is the Son, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, that oftentimes what we try to do is apply these techniques to our lives that are going to help us stay on the path, but usually the root of all the things that lead us to those techniques is that we are missing this component of who Jesus is and following him and keeping our eyes fixed on him. So today we're going to hit chapters uh, five and seven in Hebrews where the writer, the preacher uh, is going to talk about this obscure biblical character, Melchizedek. So if you're following along, you're probably wondering, okay, why in the world are we skipping over chapter six? Because uh, I, I know you guys follow pretty closely. So, so why are we skipping over chapter 6? Well, what the Hebrew writer does, if you've read through the letter, I've encouraged you to read through this letter. Uh, what the Hebrew writer does is he starts talking about Melchizedek. And then like often some of us teachers and preachers do, the Hebrew writer goes on a tangent. I've been sitting in classes before where the teacher just goes on a tangent. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, when's this gonna, when's this gonna end? The Hebrew writer goes on a bit of a tangent in chapter six. So we're not going to skip over it. We're just gonna come back to it after Easter, all right? Uh, so we're gonna skip over the tangent uh, so that we can focus on what the Hebrew writer is talking about in chapters five and seven as it relates to uh, Melchizedek. And so Jesus' followers are what? They're drifting, they're doubting, not unlike our generation. And so the writer urges them to enter God's rest through Christ. We talked about that last week. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. And then for some context, let's back up to chapter 4 and start reading in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How many of us need grace in our time of need? How many of us need help in our time of need? How many of us know because of Jesus that we can approach the throne, that throne of grace, with confidence. The grace that you need sits on a throne that gives mercy. And I want to remind us this morning, just right out of the gate, that you have an older brother in Christ who sees you, who knows you, who can empathize with you. This is not an older brother who just sits far away and is distant, but it's one that has come near. It is one that has continued to put himself in your shoes. So Jesus says, desire, I desire this mercy over this sacrifice. Now you go and learn what that means. 
What does it mean to, that Jesus desires mercy over sacrifice? Here's what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take these three verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, 15, and 16, and, and write them down. You can write them down now. You can write them down later. But write them down and put them on your bathroom mirror this week. And see if just reflecting on, on these three verses doesn't have an impact on how, how you go about the week. So, so you're brushing your hair, you're brushing your teeth, and then you, you look and you, you're, you're brushing up on God's word right here all at the same time, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I think we'd be blessed if we spent some time meditating on that scripture uh, this week. Uh, before I became a, a manager at the movie theater years ago where I worked my way through high school and college, um, I, was, I, became, I worked my way up to you know, the assistant to the regional manager kind of position. Um, you know, but, but before I did that, I was invested in learning all the other aspects of the movie theater business. So I worked as a doorman. I cleaned theaters, auditoriums about this size. Uh, and I did that, did that for years. I learned how to work in concessions and selling people you know, drinks and popcorn. I learned uh, how to run projection. And then that, those days it was a 35 millimeter film that you had to thread through this projector and you had to make sure it, it ran smoothly and started on time and, and all that stuff. So I'd done all that before I stepped into uh, a managerial role. And so one day as, as I was in the managerial role, I, I noticed that some of my, my doormen uh, weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So I started, I started telling them, you know, about you know, what they needed to be doing. And one of the doormen uh, started giving me some lip. And so I, I, said, uh, I said, hey, hand me that broom and dustpan. And so he handed me a broom and dustpan. And, and there was, during my days as a doorman, I perfected some moves with a broom and a dustpan. And so I, I took the dustpan and there was, there was a, a piece of, of popcorn laying on the ground and all the doormen were gathered around. And I walked by it and I learned it and I, I applied some of my, my basketball knowledge here. And so I walked past this, this piece of popcorn. I step over it. I sweep the popcorn between my legs into the dustpan and just keep on walking. To which the doorman replies, oh, snap. <laughs> and what was, what was I trying to teach him in that moment? It's like, I've been here. I, I've done this, you know. It was, it was a teachable moment where, and, and where this analogy broke down, it breaks down is because yeah, I was showing off a little bit, uh, and that's where the analogy breaks down. Breaks down. But, but, but we have this, this high priest who can empathize because he, he's been there. He's done that. And so when we think about this, this writing in Hebrews and how the emphasis becomes on this high priest who has been there and done that, we need to be reminded that the one that we serve has walked where we've walked. Jesus knows what it's like to be disrespected. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted constantly. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be physically and emotionally abused. Jesus knows what it's like, so don't drift. Don't drift. Hold firm to this faith that you profess. And in so doing, we live out our confession. And then the writer talks about the nature of a high priest, how, how Jesus did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. So, so turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to move down a few verses to, to verse 7. In verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears 
to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So a brief word on suffering before we move on. Jesus learns what it means to what? To be his father's obedient son, and that will mean suffering. It's not that Jesus was imperfect and needed to, to become perfect. It's that he was becoming, as one commentator says, truly and fully what it, in, his, in his nature he already was, God's son. Jesus learned obedience from him uh, from what he suffered and became the source of salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So let's answer the question, who, who was Melchizedek? Uh, we only see Melchizedek mentioned in our Bibles two times. Uh, the first time that he's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14. So you'll see it on the screen. You can turn there as well. Abram had gone out to protect his cousin Lot because Lot was being uh, hunted down. And so he has this battle and then he, he, he wins. And, and then verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which just means king of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace, Shalom, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. He blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So catch this, Abram, Abram wins this battle and he's, he's trying to, he's got to find, he's trying to find somebody uh, that, that he can he can kind of return this, this thanksgiving to. And so after this Melchizedek, uh, he, he finds him and gives him a tenth of everything he has. And, and then after what we see in Genesis chapter 14, we don't hear about Melchizedek for a thousand years. It's almost like he just popped up and then disappeared. A thousand years later, King David mentions him in Psalm 110. So you'll see that on the screen as well. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's it. That's all we have about Mel Melchizedek in, in all of the, the Bible is those two passages right there. That's it. Uh, aside from what we read in Hebrews. You know, we don't know who he descended from. We don't know uh, who begat who? I mean, there's, there's none of that begat stuff going on in, in Melchizedek's life. We, we, we don't know who anointed him to be priest. I mean, there, there's so much that's unknown about Melchizedek. So we skip the tangent in chapter 6, which we'll come back to in a few weeks. And at the end of chapter 6, we read this in verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secured, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then the next, next verse in chapter 7, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. Now here's, I know this is, we're, we're kind of treading a lot of ground here. That th This is where I think we begin to get a clue on why the Hebrew writer wants to take a moment to focus on this obscure individual, this obscure character in the Bible. Did you, did you catch it in chapter 7, verse 1? He was king 
and priest. And I want you to just, I want you to hang on to that. Okay, he was king and priest. We, we just read Melchizedek was an Old Testament priest. And most, most of us think, well, I don't know how this applies to me anymore. We, you know, we don't have a priest system anymore. You know, like we believe, you know, priesthood of all believers. So, so how, does, how does this passage, how does this text, how does what the Hebrew writer apply to me in my life and, and what's going on right now? But instead we need to ask, what, what did the priesthood represent? What did the priesthood represent? It represented this, this human quest, this, this nature, this desire that, that we need a, a go-between. Uh, we almost instinctively know that there's this disconnect between us and the Almighty. And so they needed a go-between. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were, were naked. Did they know they were naked? No, they, did, they didn't know they were naked in the beginning. Why? Because they were, they were covered, they were, they were clothed with the love and acceptance of God. It wasn't until uh, their sin brought on the, the shame of, of realizing that, that they were naked. Who told you you were naked? You know, God says. It wasn't until sin entered the game that, that they realized that, that they were naked and they needed some kind of external sense of validation, which has been the human quest ever since. Uh, you remember the movie Rocky, Rocky One, uh, the good one, you know, not, not like Rocky 48 where he's, but, but like Rocky One, 1976, you know, comes out, $960,000 budget, ends up making $225 million in the box office, which today would be over a billion dollars. Rocky One. He's in this huge arena where he's about to, to fight the champ, Apollo Creed. He, he sees his, his mural, his picture up on the, on the, hanging from the rafters. And some guy walks in, you know, and this is kind of the, right before the fight, and says, Rocky, what are you doing? And he says, he says you know, the, 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 the trunks, you know, they, they got uh, red, red trunks with white stripe. And I'm going to have white trunks with a red stripe, you know. And the guy just kind of laughs and said, you know, hey, that's, you know, who cares? You know, we, we know you're just going to give us a good show. And then right after that, he goes home and he sits with his wife, Adrian. And you remember what he says to Adrian? He says, I just want to be able to go to the, go the distance. He said, nobody's ever gone the distance with Apollo Creek. I just, I just want to be able to, to go the distance. And, and if I can go the distance, seeing that bell ring and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. This is a great line portraying and displaying the human quest for validation. We, we just don't want to be a bum. We don't want to be another bum from the, from the neighborhood. And we, we need this go-between, something that validates us as a priest. And so the, the Hebrew writer will use the priest Melchizedek to point us to Jesus. So for our remaining time, I just want to answer this question. Now that we've kind of answered who Melchizedek was, what does Melchizedek teach us about Jesus? Number one, if you're jotting these down, I encourage you to talk about these in your, your connect group meetings and, and just get to some, some application as well. Melchizedek teaches us that the Old Testament is pointing us to and teaching us about Jesus. So from Genesis all the way to Malachi, it's one story 
pointing us to the one God-man. Look in Hebrews 7, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. The second thing that Melchizedek teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus was a king and a priest. I told you to hold on to those two a moment ago. Because I think this is, is key. I think it's critical. And nowhere else in the Old Testament do we read of somebody being a king and a priest. Both. Both offices. I mean, those things just don't go together. I mean, you know, you know it's like a, a preacher and a fashion model. Like, those things don't, don't go together. You know, like, I have to turn down offers every week because I just say those things just don't go together. Right? More seriously, though, I mean, you think about like a sports team, you think about like a referee and a coach. I mean, how, how chaotic would it be if you gave a coach a whistle and said, hey, now you can be the referee? Well, you think there's going to be a little bias there, you know, with how that, how that ref, you know, officiates? There's two offices that, that just don't go together. And so when we, when we look in our Bibles and we see the, this office of king and this office of priest, these are two things that don't go together. The king was this lawgiver, this, this person who was about justice. The priest was a counselor, one that you went to when you, you messed up, the one who would cry with you. Remember chapter 5, verse 7 that we just read? The one that would cry with you, offered tears and cries. And so whereas the king represented God to the people, the priest represented the people to God. You can't do both. Melchizedek was the, the one exception, then Jesus. That could hold both offices at the same time. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. He was from what tribe? The tribe of, of Judah, the kingly tribe. And so to call him priest and he not being from the tribe of Levi is, is kind of this, this contradiction. But yet he embodied both offices. So the question becomes, if Jesus is the king, how can Jesus rule with perfect justice in a way that sympathizes with us in our weaknesses? How can God be just and yet be loved and close to us? How can God, who is just, be just and sympathize and be with those of us who practice injustices on a daily basis? How can that even coexist? And the Hebrew writer is going to give us the answer to that. He's going to give us the way. The only answer is the cross. Where the absolute justice of God met the fullness of God's mercy. And so we can't read the Palm Sunday story without recognizing and reflecting on the rest of the story. Verse 23, Hebrews 7, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, 
He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This is what I believe the third thing is that Melchizedek teaches us about Jesus. That Jesus can save anyone. Melchizedek was without a father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. Now, some say that Melchizedek was uh, like this pre-incarnate Jesus. I don't know about all that because that's not what the, the Bible says. It says it doesn't say that he was the Son of God. It says that he resembled the Son of God. So I don't get, get off in all that. But Melchizedek, because we don't know his history, we don't know we don't know where he came from. We, we don't, he's not tied to this particular people. He, he, he's not tied to this particular kind of sinner. What we learn is that neither is Jesus. There's no sin that you've committed that was greater than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus can save anyone. And his resurrection is so great that he's able to resurrect the most damaged person. Church, the resurrection next week is the resurrection this week. So Jesus was dead and came alive. There's no part of your heart that's too dead because we serve a king priest who's in the resurrection business. Look at verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. This is the last thing that I believe that Melchizedek teaches us about Jesus. And that is that Jesus deserves our first and our best. So Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Hebrews 7 reminds us. It's his first and his best. And how much more should we exalt our high priest in word and deed? It's one of the reasons I've been so encouraged these past few weeks as we've continued to walk through our 50-50 challenge where we've blessed folks in our community with $50 and also trying to give 50 minutes of our time to see the ways that this church has impacted this community and the way that you've been generous, and not only with the funds, but with your time. You'll see a picture on the screen uh, that was written to the Homewood Church, two ladies, uh, Eleanor and Cheryl, relatives of one of our members. They write, the, the kindness that you have shown to us with the 50-50 challenge was such a blessing. The money has helped us with the medical expenses that we've had recently. We know that the person who sent the money wants to remain anonymous, but we want them and all of you to know how much we appreciate your generosity. We love the Homewood Church of Christ. Katie Mundy uh, shared that since foster care is very dear to our hearts, we knew that we wanted to bless a foster family in some way for the 50-50 challenge. We decided to pay for a foster parent's date night and babysit their kids for them to enjoy a kid-free night out. Isn't that a great idea? Kevin and Janine Madison, along with Shirley Myrie, donated items into a community service project called Pack 
the back. Provides backpacks filled with non-perishable food items as well as hygiene products to the homeless population once they're discharged from the hospital. Uh, Becky Fort shared that she, Linda Godfrey, and Nancy Golden took food to the homeless veterans at the Woodlawn location of Three Hots and a Cot. And they're so appreciative of anything that we can do to help. Lastly, uh, Sandra Grantham gave the $50 to the Ford and Faith Ranch. And the main goal of this ranch is to teach children with disabilities how to ride horses. So just this week, Sandra received a video from the mother of three-year-old Harper, who has been a recipient of the good work at Ford and Faith Ranch. Let's take a moment and watch that video. And I'm the mom of Harper Little. Um, I apologize for the tired look, mom of twins who works full time. Um, but I just want to say thank you for um, thinking of Ford and Faith Ranch and sponsoring um, a lesson with this ranch. They have done so much for Harper. They took a chance on Harper when um, you know other ranches probably wouldn't even look at her um, and have been so committed to her journey and her growth. Harper was born three months early um, and had a brain injury in the NICU, so we're still working on getting stronger and mobility at three and a half years old, but um, the most important years, as everyone knows, is, you know, from infancy to five years and other ranches, you can't start until you're four years old and for Elizabeth and Ford and Faith to take a chance on Harper has made such a difference in her strength and mobility. Um, we started it almost a year ago and she could only last five minutes um, sitting on the horse and um, that was the support and then yesterday for the first time ever she rode the horse by herself and this is a girl that couldn't even roll over at two years old so I just want to say thank you. Let's put the uh, picture of Harper back on the screen and, and commit as a church to, to praying for Harper and her family uh, this week. I, I just pray that we continue to be a church that shows the love of God to every soul that we come in contact with.